Thank you, God, for not giving up on me. Thank you, God, for not giving up on me. And because God does not give up on us, He meets us in some strange places. In fact, He takes us to some strange places in order to get our attention and to meet us and to work in us. And the story we're going to look at today is from the life of a guy named Jacob. That God didn't give up on him, though pretty much everybody around Jacob had given up on him. And God took Jacob to a strange place and met him in that strange place. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. A strange place we're going to see to worship. Genesis chapter 28. I'm in a series of messages on prayer. And we've been looking at worship as a place and an expression of prayer. In fact, we saw several weeks ago that worship is where we begin in prayer. We don't begin with our request. We begin in prayer with worship. But today we're going to see that sometimes our worship takes place in a strange place. A room like this with what we've just experienced doesn't seem strange to us. But God often takes us to some places and some experiences that we don't anticipate, and in that strange place, he meets us. And that's the case with Jacob here. As you're turning there in Genesis 28, and it'll be, of course, on the screen. Let me give you the background of this passage. I shared some of it with the kids. Jacob grew up in what we would call today a classic dysfunctional family. And it was dysfunctional for this reason. His mother, Rebecca, decided fairly early on that Jacob was going to be her favorite. There were two boys in the family, the older brother Esau, he was the favorite of the dad Isaac, and then there was the younger brother Jacob, and he was basically what we would call today a mama's boy. Uh, Mama Rebecca just thought that he was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and he would hang around the house and do stuff with mama where Esau would go out hunting and do stuff with his dad, etc. So very quickly, he became mama's favorite. And Mama began to work with him to scheme to see that he could get the stuff that the oldest brother Esau was supposed to get. Now, back in those days, they had a lot of different traditions that we don't really have today. But one of those was called the family blessing. The family blessing was given by the father to the eldest son in the family. And that blessing was very, very important. It gave you land. It gave you a future. Uh, it gave you things that you, you needed and you wanted, and it was expected to come to the eldest son. Birth, uh, the, the role of birth, and when you were born, etc., etc., birth order was extremely important in the ancient world. And so Esau, as the eldest son, was supposed to receive the blessing. But Rebekah schemed with her youngest son, Jacob, and Jacob got the blessing. Well, when Esau realized that his younger brother Jacob had the blessing, he was infuriated to the place that he said, once my dad dies, in fact, as soon as he's in the ground, I am going to kill my younger brother Jacob. 
And mama heard it and she knew he meant what he was saying. And so she came to him and she said, listen, we got to get you out of here and we got to get you out of here in a hurry. So what I'm going to tell your dad is that we're going to send you to our ancestral homeland in a place called Haran which was 400 miles away from where they were. They were in this town called Bathsheba. If you go 400 miles to the north, you're going to reach Haran. I mean, they are really trying to get Jacob out of there. Back in those days, you either walked where you went or you weren't on camels. So, you know, he had a trip and a half ahead of him to get to Haran. So she goes to her husband, Isaac, and she says, Listen, she says, I can't stand the women around here. I don't want my son taking one of these women to be... uh, his wife, so let's get him back to our ancestral homeland. Homeland. So he agrees, so they send him off. And so he is traveling mile after mile after mile, literally running for his life, trying to get away as fast as he can. And exhausted, he lands in this town or this Canaanite city, which was a pretty large city for its day. It's called Luz. And he doesn't have any concept whatsoever that God is around at all. All he knows is he's done his share of cheating and lying and stealing. It has caught up with him and now he's just trying to run for his life. So let's join the story in the book of Genesis chapter 28 and we're going to begin with verse 10. Jacob left Bathsheba and went toward Haran and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head And he laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head. He set it up for a pillow. He poured oil on the top of it, which was a way of anointing something in those days. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin, so I invite you and welcome you, if you would, to follow along as we move through this passage of Scripture together. God can and God will meet us anywhere, even when that anywhere is a strange place. 
I want you to see, first of all, that Jacob was in a barren place. He shows up exhausted in this town or this city, Canaanite city called Luz. It was a Canaanite city. He was a Hebrew, so it would have been full of strangers. He would not have known the people, may not have even known the language, or particularly the dialogue, dialogue very well, or dialect, I should say, very well. He's there in that town. And it's nighttime. They didn't have street lights or anything back in those days. So when the sun went down, the sun went down. It was totally pitch black. He probably would have heard wolves or animals, you know, crowing in the background, hollering out. And he's exhausted. And so he goes and he finds a rock and pulls the rock out and lays his head down on the rock. He is in a barren place geographically and physically. God sometimes will geographically take us to some places or a place that we think is a strange place. It is not the place we would have ever thought we would have ended up. Some of you that I'm talking to, you are living in a neighborhood you probably thought you'd never live in. Or you were living in a house or some type of living arrangements you thought you'd never live in. And you were wondering, why am I in this place? But God's always got something that He's up to. Even in the barren place, God is up to something and he is at work. So he was in a barren place. Secondly, Jacob's soul was barren. When Jacob gets there that night, he is not looking for God. Jacob is not there because he was led of the Lord to be there. At least in his mind, he didn't think he was led of the Lord to be there. So he shows up in this place... And he's sitting there, and he's just there running for his life. He had no idea that God was in any of this. His soul was barren. He needed God to open his spiritual eyes to see what was going on because he had no intention of being there, running for his life, and he has absolutely nothing in his mind that is causing him to look for the Lord or ask for the Lord where he is. His soul is barren. Third, he was in a barren season of his life. Jacob had grown up in this home where he was mama's boy. And mama was always orchestrating everything to his advantage. And things would sort of fall into place for his, to his advantage. But now he's in a place that mama is hundreds of miles away. Daddy is hundreds of miles away. The family is hundreds of miles away. There is no one there to make stuff happen for him anymore. Things are not going to pan out in the direction that he wants. And so he's in this barren season of his life. For the first time in his life, nobody's there to look out for him. For the first time in his life, he's at a place that nothing seems to be happening. And God is going to take you and I through some barren seasons. We're going to go through some times in life and we're going to sit back and wonder, is God even in the picture anymore? God doesn't seem to be saying anything. God doesn't seem to be doing anything. God seems to have taken a hike on us. Life just seems to have hit a wall. We're not going anywhere. We're in a barren place, often with a barren soul and in a situation where we are in a barren season of life. And notice what happens. He falls asleep. And he has this dream. And in this dream, he looks up and he sees this ladder. And there are angels going up and down the ladder. Now, in the Bible, angels appear for several reasons. The first reason angels will appear is to guard people. And often they show up to be a guard for folks. Secondly, angels are there to protect. And so often you see angels show up to protect. But the main reason that angels show up in Scripture, Old and New Testaments, is to communicate a message from God. 
And sometimes they communicate the message verbally, and sometimes they communicate just by their action and activity. And that is exactly what's happening in this story. The angels are going up and down this ladder, and what they are trying to say as Jacob is dreaming this and seeing these angels is that God is coming to him and that there is now access up to and in the presence of the Lord. Because as he sees these angels going up and down, he's realizing that God is saying that, hey, Jacob, I'm coming down to where you are. But I'm also opening the way for you to go up to the Lord. In fact, if you look up at the top of the ladder, and as he follows the angels that are going up at the top of that ladder, it says was the presence of God. And so God is communicating to him, Jacob, I am here, and Jacob, you have got access to me. Now, I want you to see something. What is God saying? He's saying, Jacob, I am here, and Jacob, you have got access to me. But who's this guy who's suddenly being told you've got access to God and God is with him? It's a guy who arrived that night, not as somebody who was called to the ministry, not as somebody who was an example in town. This guy is a liar. He is a cheat. He is a schemer, and God is saying to the liar, the cheat, and the schemer, Hey, buddy, I got you alone here in this barren place with your barren soul in a barren season because I got plans for you. And I am right here in this place, and you've got access to my presence, and I'm going to go to work on your soul. You didn't ask me for it, but I've chosen you, and I've decided I'm going to show up in your life and do a work in you. Folks, don't ever count yourself out. So many times we say, well, I'm not a church person, or I don't know the Bible very well, or I'm not seeking the Lord. That doesn't have anything to do with God making a decision about whether he's going to show up in your life or not. He's going to show up in your life and do what he wants to do. And he's going to say, you've got access to my presence, and I'm at work in your life. Now, notice what it says, verse 13. It says, the Lord stood above him. It's an interesting Hebrew word that's used there because it can mean and be translated either above or beside. Either above or beside. And what God is communicating to Jacob here is, Jacob, I am beside you as your companion, as your closest friend. And I am above you as the authority in your life. You see, when the Lord comes into our lives, he comes into our lives beside us and above us. He is beside me as a companion. And he is above me always as the authority in my life. Worship begins with the person of the Lord. Talk about worship being part of prayer, and we start in prayer at the place of worship. Well, that worship starts at the person of God, who God is. And notice what, how God begins to reveal himself. First, he's saying to him, look, I'm above you and I'm beside you. Next, verse 13, he begins to go over some names with Jacob as he reveals himself. First of all, he says, Jacob, I am the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, that's the personal name for God, Jehovah or Yahweh, as best we can translate it. And this is what he is saying to Jacob. Jacob, your grandfather was Abraham. And I met Abraham and I pledged myself to him in what was called a covenant. Then I came to your father Isaac and I pledged myself to Isaac, your dad. Jacob, you're the newest generation of the family. And Jacob, now I'm showing up in your life and I am renewing the covenant with you. I am extending the covenant into your generation. And this is what that covenant was about. 
It first of all was about a promise, and we'll see what the promises are in just a moment, or some of the promises. But he is renewing the promises of the covenant to Jacob. The second thing is that he is in this covenant saying, Jacob, you've got a future, and your future is my future. It is the future that I am designing for you. And most of all, he's saying, Jacob, you've got a relationship. And the relationship that you have got is a relationship with me. I am giving you a relationship with me. I am encountering you right now and giving you my name so that we can be in a close relationship together. Remember, Jesus said that we are in the new covenant with him. And in the new covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, we are promised the promises of God where he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We have a future, and our future is the future that he is designing for us and that he is calling us to. And we have a relationship with him given to us by the person of the Holy Spirit. So he says, I am the Lord, the Lord who? The Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. Now the term God there, the name God there is the Hebrew name for God, Elohim. And it means powerful one. He is saying to him, Jacob... I am going to be the powerful one in your life. Now, why was that significant? It was significant for a lot of reasons, but it was significant mainly for this. God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, you're out here because you have been lying and cheating and scheming to get ahead in life. I am powerful, and I can accomplish my will for your life, and I can take care of you. I don't need you scheming to get ahead. I've got a will for you, I've got a call for you, and I can get you where I want you, and I don't need your scheming help to get there. I can do it on my own without you trying to cut corners to get there. And Jacob, let me tell you something else. I don't need your mama to help you get there. I know your mama, Rebecca, has been out there, and she's been trying to manipulate stuff and scheme and all the rest. I don't need mama to help you get where I want you to get. I'm God. I can get you there. I don't need mama scheming to get you there. Jacob, it is time for you to grow up. You walked into here a mama's boy. When I get through with you, you're going to be a man of God. You never get anywhere as long as you're a mama's boy. But when I get through with you and you become a man of God, then you'll start getting somewhere in life. So it's time to start listening to me. And be obedient to me, Jacob. I am the Lord your God, the powerful one in your life. Follow me on this. When you and I worship, this is what God does. He translates us from where we are into his presence. He translates us from the culture we've been moving in up to his culture. When he translates us up into his presence in the place of worship, he transforms us. To be like Jesus. He translates us up to transform us to be like Jesus. That's the reason if you had walked up to Jacob when he left that place that day that he named Bethel. You'd have met a different guy than the guy who walked in there. Why? Because he'd been translated into the presence of God to be transformed to be more like the Lord. And when you and I worship we will be translated into his presence to be transformed by him. Follow me on this. The test of worship is not whether I enjoyed it or not. The test of worship is am I more like Jesus? That is the test of worship. Individual worship and corporate worship is am I more like Jesus? 
Am I more patient with people? Do I love folks more? Am I better to my wife? Am I have more character to my son? Am I becoming more like Jesus? That is the test of worship. Now, notice the promise. This is the person of God where worship starts. The person of who the Lord is. Now, notice the promise he gives him. Verse 15. He says, I am with you. Promise number one. I am with you. The promise of a close relationship. Now, he will repeat that promise several times in this passage. And he uses that preposition that's translated in English, I am with you. Now, I need you to bear with me for a moment because we're going to sort of go from an English preposition into a Hebrew one. And I want you to follow me on this because this is really beautiful, okay? You wonder how in the world you get so excited about grammar. But just follow me and you'll understand it, all right? In our English versions, the Hebrew preposition that is used for here is translated with. And you will see it in this passage several different times. He says, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. Now what he's trying to say to Jacob is, Jacob, I'm pledging myself to you. Jacob, I am glued to you. My grandfather was Mr. Breakable. But my grandfather discovered something called Foxy Poxy. And my grandfather figured out he could take foxy poxy glue and he could put anything together. And my grandfather had the responsibility in the home of washing the dishes. And one day my grandfather took a family heirloom that was my great-grandmother's porcelain dish. And in the process of washing it, he broke it. I mean right down the middle. And he knew that if my grandmother found that dish broken, you weren't going to want to be in that house that night. Because that was her mother's porcelain dish. So grandfather went downstairs quickly, and he got his foxy poxy out. And he put that glue down both edges, and he put that thing dished together, and he held it. And I mean, it looked beautiful. And for years after that, grandfather would pull that dish out to me. And he would say to me, I foxy-poxy this thing back together. <laughs> and it has never broken. And it's still together. I foxy-poxy this thing. He was so proud of that dish. I became mean, 10 times as a kid. He pulled that dish off the shelf. I foxy-poxy this thing back together. About a year after he died, I was talking to my grandmother, and I said, you know, he foxy-poxy that dish back together. She said, oh, yeah, I knew that years ago. I just didn't say anything about it. <laughs> but it never broke. It was foxy-poxied together. Now, let me tell you, in this passage of Scripture, when God says, I am with you, what he was saying to Jacob is, Jacob, I have foxy-poxied myself to you. I have glued myself to you. Well, that's fine, Pastor. What's that got to do with me? When the writer of Scripture looked forward later in the Old Testament to when Jesus was going to come, one of the titles he gave for Jesus is Emmanuel, which translated as what? God with us. He takes this preposition and sticks it right into the middle of the title of Christ. 
Emmanuel uses this Hebrew preposition in it, and it is God's way of saying to us, when my son shows up, he's going to be foxy poxy to your life. He's going to be with you. Do you realize that the most deep reality we live with, when we wake up in the morning, Jesus is with me. When I walk out the house and I encounter crud, Jesus is with me. And the day as I move through it, He is with me. When I lay down to go to bed at night, Jesus is with me. If I don't know anything else is certain in my life, it is as Jesus is with me. And I am never going to be alone because Jesus is with me. Dr. Adrian Rogers, who for years pastored in Tennessee, shared the story that, if I'm correct, their first child died very early in life. And he said, we left a little country church. I was the pastor of, he was, and went down to the church cemetery to bury our child. And he said, when we walked away from that cemetery and headed back up to the church, he said, I heard the people singing, no, never alone, no, never alone. I will never leave you. No, never alone. Whatever you go through in life, Jesus is there. But I'll remember this. It's not the bad times. So often we have to remind ourselves of that. I don't know about you, but I forget about him in the good times. When I don't really feel like I need him. And that's when I really do need him. He's saying, I will be with you. Next he says, promise of his presence, verse 15. I am with you to keep you. The word keep there means to guard you, to protect you. But it has an additional word there. And the word is garden. He's saying, I'm going to keep you like a garden. I'm going to pour myself into you. I'm going to work on you. I'm going to work over you. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to develop you. And notice his response. Worshiping the Lord in that strange place. Verse 16. He says, the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. The Lord was in this place. You see, the the reality of the presence of God is not dependent on whether I perceive His presence or not. God does not say, well, as long as you know I'm there, I'm there. God is there because He's there. God is there because He promised that He would be there. The Lord was here, and I didn't know it. Notice verse 17. He says, I am afraid. Now, I want you to follow close on this because we tend to do this with the fear of God. Either we don't want to be in the presence of the Lord because we're scared of Him, or we want God to be just like us so we can be comfortable with Him. He says, the Lord's in this place, and I didn't know it, and I was afraid. What was he afraid of? I think the fear was two things. First of all, it means to recognize the awesome presence of God. I came face to face with how powerful God is, how awesome He is, how great He is, how powerful He is. And I was afraid. But have you ever been in the presence of someone that you knew really loved you? I mean, deeply committed loved you. There's some fear in that. I think Jacob is saying here, I mean, was in the presence of God. And I, I realized, number one, how powerful he is. But secondly, in his presence, 
I recognized how much he loves me. It struck fear in me to realize that I am loved eternally and intensely by Almighty God. That even though I was a cheat and a schemer, God still loved me and he encountered me. Notice what he says next. He says, verse 17, this is the house of God, which was an expression. This is the presence of the Lord that I'm in. This is the gate of heaven, which means I have access to God. And notice what he says, verse 18, he's going to do. He says, I'm going to take this pillar I put my head on last night. It's going to become a pillar, P-I-L-L-A-R, so I can mark this down as where God met me. You need to have some places in your life where God meets you and you mark them down. As a place that you can go back to in your mind over and over again, if not physically, and say, hey, the Lord spoke to me at this place. That God worked at me, worked with me in this place. Verse 20. Here's the purpose of God. We saw the presence of God, the promises of God, and now the purpose of God. Verse 20, he says, you will keep me in the way that I will go. In other words, Lord, you've got a purpose for my life. You've got a destiny for my life. And God, I'm going to move with you in that purpose and in that destiny. But I want you to see something in verse 20. It's sort of a strange thing that he says in verse 20. He says, then Jacob made a vow saying, notice the word here. If God will be with me and keep me in the way that I go, I will, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. If. That don't sound like much faith, does it? You just had this big vision of God, and you've seen angels coming and going up and down, and God's pledged himself to you and have all this great stuff. And then you say, if God does the following, then I will follow him. Jacob is still struggling with doubt, even as he worships and pledges himself to the Lord. Please hear me on this. You will always have a struggle with doubt. And that's okay. All of us periodically are going to look at the promises of God and we're going to be tempted to throw an if in there. And God is okay with that. We worship in doubt. We worship through our doubt. We hang on to the promises of God even though we are struggling with doubt. God did not say to Jacob, I gave you all these promises. Now you're saying if, so I'm going to kick you out. What did God do? He just kept on working in Jacob's life. Doubt is part of the journey. And he starts his journey with faith mixed with doubt. And we're always going to have struggle with faith and some doubt. And God's going to meet us in the doubt and work with us. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on God because of the doubt. Just keep on going with the doubt. That's exactly what he does. Now notice what he says in verse 21. The Lord's going to be my God. He's going to be my strong one. Verse 22. I will give him a tenth. Of all that you have given to me. What Jacob does is he looked around his life and he says, God, you've given me everything I've got. So I'm going to give one-tenth of it to you. Now, why did he do that? A, because he was committing himself to the Lord through his giving. And B, because he was saying to the Lord, I trust you. If I give you a tenth, you'll see to it that my needs are met. You'll see to it that I'm taken care of. Now, folks, let me say this to you. Sitting in a church service and listening to preaching is easy, hopefully. Um, singing is easy. Giving is a whole different ballgame. That's where I have to really prove to God 
that I'm trusting in. Whether it's my finances, whether it's my talents and abilities and gifts, whether it's my time. When I make that deal like Jacob to, to step over and say, God, you gave me everything and I'll give some back to you. I am saying to him at that time, Lord, I am committed to you and I trust you because the giving is where the rubber meets the road. The giving is where I really show my commitment to him. The giving is where I am saying to him, you see this, you will honor this, and you'll get me through. And notice he's saying, Lord, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything I've got. What did he have? His rock? I mean, he didn't have a whole lot. God is not about how impressive we are with what we give and what we think we got. It's just giving him what we do have and what we anticipate he's going to bring to our lives. Let's pray. What strange place is God encountering you today? Are you at a place in life where you feel like you're in a barren place? Or your soul's barren? Or you're in a season that's barren? Wherever you find yourself. And if that place where you are is a strange place, maybe a new place, a place you never thought you'd be, the Lord is there. He wants to encounter you and he wants you to be able to say as Jacob said the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. How awesome is this place. God has woken me up to it that I am I got access to him that he is foxy foxing himself to me. I want to give you a moment in prayer just to say Jesus I want to encounter you as you are already encountering me.